Hallelujah. 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 Are you blessed tonight? Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I am blessed. I am blessed. I'm blessed. Uh, quickly, let's go to the word of the Lord. I would ask you to turn your Bibles to Psalms 145 and 14. Psalms 145 and 14. The word of the Lord says, The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that are bowed down. Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that are bowed down. Quickly, Luke 13, beginning at verse 10, and it reads, And now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when he saw her, when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. And said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it. For eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said all these and when he said all these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done. By him. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that are bowed down. I want to preach to you for the next uh, couple of minutes on this thought overcoming the quasi moto spirit. Overcoming the quasi moto spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the ability to be able to speak in this pulpit. We thank you for the ability to be able to speak just generally, Lord. I'm asking. That you touch my heart and my mind, touch the hearts of your people and the minds of your people. Let us collectively be blessed, Lord, in your presence. Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to be sensitive to the leading and the guiding of your spirit. We thank you and we ask it all in your lovely name. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Amen. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that are bowed down. At times in life, we reach a point where we flat out fall and we fail. And it feels like we're in some distant God-forsaken valley and there's no hope of ever getting back up again. But the Lord upholdeth. That word means to support, to sustain, to refresh, to revive all that fall. He also raiseth up. Raising is the lifting up or the comfort to the afflicted, those that are bowed down, those that are bending or being, being bent or hollow, they are dug out or bore out. So it could be said that the Lord sustains and supports. He refreshes and revives all that fall. 
every single one of us that falls at times in our lives, we have the ability to be supported and to be refreshed and revived. Even at times when we feel that we are afflicted, he brings comfort. And when we feel that we are bent over under the load of some sin or some guilt or some uh, circumstance in our life, when we feel that we've been dug out and we're nothing more than a shell or an exterior, but if someone were to look inside, they would see that it's empty and hollowed out. It's in those times that the Lord gives strength. The Lord gives sustainability. The Lord refreshes and the Lord revives. One person said, the greater the difficulty, the more glory in surmounting it. For skillful pilots gain their reputation from storms and tempest. And I tell you that if you find yourself tonight in a storm, that it is that very storm that will be able to make you skillful in the things of God. It is by storms that we begin to find out who we really are and we can act, assess where we are in God and go back to the drawing board. You know, sometimes we have certain besetting sins that would try to keep us from achieving what God wants us to achieve. And it seems that constantly, day in, day out, and month in, year in, year out, that we fight the same battle that we can't seem to overcome and get victory of it. But when we do, we will be that much more skillful concerning that area in our lives. We'll have the ability to see it. You see, the the Bible says that um, we're not ignorant of his devices, meaning that he's still using the same devices he used some 2,000 years ago. The devil has not updated his technology nor updated the way that he attacks the people. But at times we are blinded and at times our minds are dull to the fact and to the very attack that he's given us. The story goes that the man was born with physical deformities. He had a huge wart that covered his right eye and his body was riddled with severely, with a severely bad hunched back. He was feared of the townspeople as some sort of monster. Quasimodo was his name. He was found abandoned in Notre Dame on the foundling's bed where they left all the orphans and unwanted children to sit there and hope that someone would have mercy upon them. They were given the ability to uh, receive the public's charity. And on that Quasimodo Sunday, Quasimodo was laid on the very steps of that place. You see, Quasimodo Sunday was the first Sunday after Easter. So the day, the the Sunday after the resurrection in which they celebrated the resurrection of Christ, we find that yet someone else is put on this doorstep to be, to risk the chance of whether someone would show charity on them or whether they wouldn't. It was a lonely day for Quasimodo, but on that day, Claude Frollo, the archdeacon of Notre Dame, found him and adopted him. Since he was the archdeacon that found him and he found him on Quasimodo Sunday, he decided that he'd name the baby after the day in which he found him. Quasimodo is brought up to be the bell ringer in the cathedral and his constant... um, Achievement in his life is simply to ring the bell. 
Whenever the bell is to be rung, you can find him there ringing the bell. And with days and years of doing the same monotonous job of simply ringing the bell, he finds that on top of his deformities now is added another trial and he's now become deaf. So on top of the physical deformities, he has become deaf. And while the deafness would bring a bit of relief from hearing what people were saying about him, it still couldn't silence the voice in his head and the facial expressions of the same voiceless people when they encountered Quasimodo. Quasimodo was a fairly kind-hearted person who is hated for his deformity. He's hated for what he looks like. He is just all out hated. And so his life is a life that is simply, he becomes defined by a bell that he rings and defined by a deformity that he has on the outside. In his mind are words that go around as a carousel or a Ferris wheel, simply stating fear, hate, you're hated, you're deformed, you're deaf. You were abandoned. And there's the constant vibration of the bell that he rings reverberating in his lonely soul. He hears words of a longing to be spoken to, a longing for relationship, a longing to love, a longing to be loved. A slave to the bell that has become his life, that is what sums up the life of this man named Quasimodo. The only person that he can count on is his master, Claude Frollo. And then what he thought he had, a connection of trust, now his master, Frollo, breaks that. You see, there's a woman that enters into the scene, a beautiful gypsy girl by the name of Esmeralda. The same gypsy girl that he falls in love with when she gives him water as he's being punished. There's a point where he's being punished in the story and this gypsy girl simply offers him water. And while some would think that it was the water that caused Quasimodo to instantly fall in love with Esmeralda and begin to follow her and try to uh, get close to her every opportunity he had, it wasn't the water, but it was the act of being loved. It was the act of feeling important was the act of mattering in someone's life that they would show him an act of kindness even to this deformed, deaf monster of the town. And such is the mindset of many people who we think are drawn away from our churches. We think that it is a drink of the world that calls them or a drink of the world that solicits or entices them. But I tend to believe that that is not the case But I believe at times it is the act or the lack of the act of them being shown that they are loved. If they are not made to feel important or if we're not telling them that they matter in our church or in our community, then at times a person begins to fall in love with the first act of kindness that is shown to them. How can a drug dealer solicit new people simply at first they begin to show some sort of connecting act they begin to try to befriend someone and give something that costs money for free 
And before you know it, after a few times, then you've got yourself a client. And don't ask me how I know this. But it is so. And so the people that are drawn and enticed from a sanctuary where there should be love and should be uh, affirming and a spirit of affirmation, people begin to be drawn by someone who will show them kindness where otherwise they're not receiving or being affirmed. And so the spirit that must be released in the house of God is a spirit of affirmation. I can tell you that some people, they have a void in their lives for being affirmed. And they face situations. And you could tell me that I preached the best on Sunday and I can find you about 20 different places that I did not preach well on Sunday. Because I grew up in a home where there was only a mother and a multitude of boyfriends that came through the house and There was never any affirming in my life. The man, my father, did not affirm me in my younger years. And so there's a void. Now, I understand that God can affirm us and he can fill that void. But there's still something about a human touch and a human connection. Or when someone walks up to you and says, man, you're doing good. You're awesome. God's got his hand on you. But even in the midst of all that, those of us who have grown up with that void have the ability to totally discredit everything that has been said. And so this was the mindset of Quasimodo. He was abandoned. He was made to ring the bell. And that would take a a lifestyle that would cause him to become deaf. And as well, the deformities of his exterior brought a mindset that he was simply looking for someone to affirm him. I pray that the church would not be a place where there is no affirmation, but regardless of color or creed or or what we look like on the exterior or how we uh, may conduct ourselves, uh, whether we have the ability to hear the word and act on the word, or if we're hearing you fresh and um, still trying to figure out how the, the workings of the church happen I pray that we would become people that affirm the guest, affirm people who are starting on the same walk that we started on one day and one time in our lives. We need people that are encouragers. We need Ed Grines, that type of spirit that will say, you know what, you did good, preacher. You you did good. That man, I, I didn't know him too well, and many of you were blessed to know him far longer than I did. But when I was in his presence, I felt like I knew him forever. He had that connectability to be able to connect to someone and to affirm in their spirit and in their lives. So many find themselves searching. They find themselves searching. So Quasimodo, he finds someone who shows an act of kindness and all of a sudden he falls in love with the act. He doesn't worry that she's some gypsy and she goes here and she goes there and that probably the morals that she has are not the morals of a person living in the cathedral. But nonetheless, it's the act of love that brings connection. That's why I believe that we, the people of God, must be people of love. 
I read somewhere in the Bible that he says that uh, for those that know not love, know not God, for God is love. Love. So I wonder when we don't show love, does that mean we're not showing God? And would that mean that we don't have God in us? Just a thought. Many find themselves as Quasimodo longing to be loved, longing to fit in, longing to have someone affirm them, longing for someone to look beyond their deformities and look into their destinies. You know, I'm sure each and every one of us could uh, attest to the fact that we weren't always, even if you were raised in church, you probably weren't always the best kid in Sunday school. You probably had some things you did outside the knowledge of your parents that was not altogether holy and right. But we need people as we have been blessed with people that look beyond our deformities. They look beyond our shortfalls and our our falls and our shortcomings. And they were able to see potential in us. Just as a pastor is able to see the potential in an upcoming minister We need people that will have the ability to see the potential in someone and say, wow, you know, that person would work very good in that position or in in that ministry. And we begin to try to help and to guide and to direct by the spirit and to be a strength unto them. So what happens is Quasimodo's master, he kills Esmeralda. He has her lured out and has her hung. And Quasimodo becomes so upset that he kills now his master. And he leaves Notre Dame never to return again. And later goes on to a place called Mount Falcon, a huge graveyard in Paris where all the hung bodies are thrown, where bodies of the condemned are dumped. And there Quasimodo dies clutching Esmeralda's body. Years later, excavation groups find uh, their skeletons and find them intertwined. And when they try to separate them, the story goes that Quasimodo's bones crumble to dust. For he dies clutching and intertwined to the first love he ever had. You want to know how people die never wavering concerning this truth because they die holding on to a first love that was uh, made available to them. I have no intentions of leaving the Lord or leaving his word or leaving uh, the, the safety of his kingdom because there was a love that was instilled on that day when I found him. There was someone who was willing to invite me to church. There was someone who was willing to look beyond my downfalls and look beyond the exterior And look beyond me showing up to church in shorts and look beyond all the stupidity and the the problems that I caused the youth leader. And and that came back to haunt me when I became a youth leader. And whatever you reap, you're going to sow. You can believe it. You can believe it. But I quickly got out of that ministry. And I'm thankful for men of God like Justin Davis and Sister Lisa Davis, his wife, who have the the ability to work with young people. I love to affirm them, but uh, we we had lunch with them on Sunday, and I told them, I'll I'll love them from a distance. I just, 
I, the only reason I took that position of being a youth leader is because the Lord told me this is the closest you'll feel and get and know what it's like to pastor because you'll have a multitude of personalities. Some will listen, some will not. And so then I thought, you know what, maybe pastoring's not for me either. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, we, we survived. But there are people that are looking. They're looking for, for someone to affirm them, looking for someone to look beyond what they've become. And here Quasimodo dies next to the first act of love that was shown to him. She offered him water on that day that was filled with punishment, and now he dies until the last drop of water that makes up his body evaporates from his now lifeless body. I said all that to get to this. What is it that caused Quasimodo to die for someone that didn't even love him? It was an act of love. It was an act of God. He died clutching and dehydrated of all that he could have become, all he could have been, and he became the epitome of his name. Quasimodo's name is the spirit that I speak of. Quasimodo in Latin, quasi means almost. And modo, M-O-D-O, means standard measure. So Quasimodo is almost the standard measure of a human person. It's the same thing as King Agrippa when he told Paul, almost thou persuadest persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. I was almost a Christian. The spirit that we need such a deliverance from in our lives is a spirit of inadequacy, a spirit of feeling that we'll never measure up to what God's calling or measure up to what the church is calling. And as we see that God is beginning to lift us into a different realm in the spirit and it's becoming a little more deeper, if you will, but with that deepness also comes more attacks. Since we have been receiving the words that we've been receiving on Wednesday nights concerning our eyes being open and the changing of attack and all these other things, I as well have been feeling more attacks on my mind. Even today at church, or, or today at lunch, rather, as I sat in my car and I began to pray and went over what I was going to speak about tonight, I felt a spirit that just slipped in that car and said, you can't do it. You can't preach it. You don't have the ability. You're not this. You're not that. And then I began to get nervous and I started believing, oh, I can't do it. Maybe I should call Justin and tell him you do it. But then I just began to pray. I said, Lord, you've not given me a spirit of fear, but you give me a spirit of power of love, and of a sound mind. And I just begin to take authority over that attack. And with great vision and great moves of the Holy Ghost, we would be ignorant to think that God, or I'm sorry, that the devil is not going to begin to attack. But we have a power within us. We have an affirmation in our souls. There is something that is birthed in our spirit and if we are able to conquer in the midst of the storm and in the midst of the tempest, we'll become skillful in the realm that God is calling us to. 
You see, all of us fight that spirit, young and old alike. We fight the spirit of feeling inadequate feelings that we will never measure up. Feelings that someone can always do a better job than you. Well, you know what? There probably is that someone that can do a better job than you can. But if he's called you to something, then he's given you the ability and the capacity to fulfill the calling that he's placed in you. You have that ability. We have that ability. And if he's calling us to a higher depth or a higher height in the spirit, then we will have the ability and the capacity to flow in that realm as well. We will overcome all things. We will overcome the spirit of Quasimodo. We'll overcome that spirit. It's a spirit that torments the mind. Great minds have purposes, someone said. Little minds have wishes. Little minds are subdued by misfortunes, but great minds rise above them. The road was dusty, and I noticed every pebble, every crack under my bare feet. I saw the claw marks of chickens, the hoof prints of donkeys, as I passed the empty marketplace, plodding to the synagogue. I could hear the chatter of voices, the voices of my family, but no one spoke to me. The youngest skipped ahead to throw stones along the road, and my son and wife walked stick straight ahead of me. I could not see above their legs, their smooth gait, a rhythm I couldn't follow. I slunk in the back of the synagogue as we arrived. I sat with the women the older women, the widows, the outcasts, because my condition had brought dishonor to my family. If I were righteous, they said, I wouldn't be bent over. But God was punishing me, they said, for some transgressions rooted so deeply in the underbelly of my soul that I didn't even know where they came from nor where they were at. I couldn't believe that this was true. And if anyone looked into my eyes, they would have known that. But you see, no one looked into my eyes. It was only the top of my head that they viewed. Someone to be looked over and to be ignored. It must have been two years since I'd spoken. And I was and I was the only one who noticed. I was the only one who mourned at all the absence of words. I had nothing to say. And no one to say it to. The spirit that crippled my body had also paralyzed my soul. When I was a child, I loved the synagogue, the chanting, the prayers, the burnt smell of candles and sacrifices and offerings. And I was sure that the rabbis and the priests kept God alive there. I was faithful. I came to church. I always showed up. My family was devout. They were a model of Christianity in our community. But I'd felt nothing for years. Only the claustrophobia of a woman's section, the smell of perfume, the oppressive heat, and the whine of babies. But that morning, I felt Jesus' eyes as they bore into my soul and into my mind. How he saw me, how he noticed me. I'll never know. When Jesus was teaching in the synagogue on that Sabbath, 
he looked and he saw that there was a woman with the spirit of infirmity. It says, behold, and there was a woman that had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. That's the awesome thing about the God we serve. You can come in busted, beat up, torn down, bent over by the cares of this world and even sometimes by the sin that we have inflicted upon our own selves. And we think, why should I even go to church? Because I'm all messed up. Because it's those type of people that Jesus notices. She didn't come expecting a healing. She didn't come looking for anything other than what she had done for 18 years that she's had this spirit of infirmity. She didn't come with faith to receive a miracle, but Jesus looked and saw her in the synagogue, called her to him, and began to say, Woman, thou art loose from thy spirit of infirmity. From the spirit of infirmity. The spirit is the vital part by which the body is animated. It is the power by which we feel, we think, and we decide. So just as Quasimodo faced the thought that uh, he was not a standard person, this woman as well in the, uh, in the tabernacle on the Sabbath felt that she was not the standard measure of a person. From her legs down, she looked normal, but from the same waist up, she had a deformity that had now taken over her body. And she was to sit in the back. She was sit to sit with the outcast. She was to sit and basically do nothing. But this one day, Jesus saw her and he said, you are loose from the spirit of your infirmity. The vital part that needed to be touched in this woman and what needed to be touched in the mind of Quasimodo, what needs to be touched in the minds of so many people that come in our house, in this church house, is the mind needs to be touched. The area where we feel, the area where we think, and the area where we decide need to be baptized with a spirit that looses us from that same spirit of infirmity, that spirit of sickness, that spirit of thinking that we're sick, the spirit that causes us to become Bent in the presence of God, we need to be renewed. Ephesians 4 and 23 says, And be ye renewed in the spirit of your mind. The hunchback woman of the book of Luke needed to renew the spirit of her mind. There is a spirit that our mind has, and it is the capacity by which we think, by which we feel, and by which we decide Meaning that the Satan had bound her mind to think that she would never get out of the circumstance that she was in. That she would always be a cripple in the house of God. But God had other plans. You see, there is a renewing that needs to take place in the mind. For in this woman, the place that should have been the greatest force of reason was where there was the greatest downfall which gradually weakens all things and weakened her body. 18 years. Imagine 18 years. I can't imagine. I bend over to put my socks on, and I can't imagine an hour of that. 
So imagine 18 years of being bent over and you have to walk that away. And your viewpoint is not the viewpoint of those around you. And while others can see the sky, you might be able to if you put a mirror or if you laid on your back. There's more difficulty to see the simplistic things that others take for granted when you're bound with a spirit of infirmity. First Peter 1 and 13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What the apostle was speaking of was when there's girding, it's a metaphor delivered from the practice of the Orientals who in order to be unimpeded in their movements, they were accustomed to... Um, Binding the long flowing garments closely around their bodies and fastening them with a leather belt. The apostle said, gird up the loins of your mind. The loins is a place that the Hebrews thought as the generative power. And that's where it resided. It was the seed to produce. So we must fasten the seed of our thoughts When your mind is not correct or not in the right place, then you begin to birth and you begin to give seed to a thought that now becomes something in your life that you have to overcome. How many can can attest to the fact that when you ain't praying and when you're not in the vein that God wants you to be in, all of a sudden it seems all these things come against you and you have problems. Uh... You're, you begin to fight with your wife or your husband more often. You become uh, quickly aggravated and all these things. And all of a sudden you find yourself a place of prayer and you want to hug on them and kiss them and love them and tell them how awesome they are. And you want to just begin to share because your mind has been renewed. We need the renewing of our minds Proverbs 23 and 7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That is why we must be renewed in the mind or in the spirit of our mind, for it is the very ground of your heart. The heart is the seat of the emotions of the mind, the thinking. And as you think in that area, so are you. We need deliverance from the spirit that would say that we're not qualified, that would say that we don't have the ability. I'm new. I just got uh, filled. The Lord just filled me with the Holy Ghost. And how could I be a witness unto someone? You can be a witness. You can show, share uh, of healings. And you say, well, he's never done that for me. Well, then attest to the fact that he's done it for someone else. If you um, weren't here at, the, at prayer, I told a story of an um, instance that happened this week to just today to a family member of mine who was going to have a procedure and they said her heart was damaged and we prayed on with her on Monday night over the phone. I had her husband lay his hand on the lower left part of her heart and we begin to uh, just speak healing. But we asked God for his will and his way. And I got a text this morning as they were going to do the procedure that they said, the doctor said, um, her heart's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's absolutely good. And so we begin to tell of the miracles that God is doing in the church. Just because you have not experienced a miracle cannot mean that you cannot um, 
share it. You may have not been there when the gossip actually happened, but you sure do have the ability to tell the gossip. Sometimes we don't know if it's true or not, but we move on a word of um, bad faith. We trust that it's true, and so we tell someone, did you hear what I heard? This, 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 that, and the other. And uh, it's the same. You just convert it and switch it, and then you begin to tell the goodness of God. You know the Holy Ghost is still being poured out. How do you know? Because uh, someone received the Holy Ghost. We begin to move into the realm that God calls us. It takes body and mind. I'm running out of time. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about that... uh, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it also says to present your bodies as living sacrifices. It takes body and mind to move into the God-dealt faith thinking. The mind is the first thing that Jesus dealt with when he addressed this woman. The place where she thinks is the first healing that he brings into this lady's life. If you read 13 and 12, it says that when he saw her, he called her forth and he said, You're loose from the spirit of infirmity or your infirmity. And then he lays hands on her and immediately she's made straight and glorifies God. He didn't lay hands on her first, but he spoke to the spirit, to the mind. Because at times healing will come to your body, but you fight in your mind. Words went forth on Sunday and some that I look back and I think, oh my goodness. Uh, I moved on a word and the devil says, you know what? That was just you. Why would God tell you to do that? And you begin to realize that the mind must be touched before you see the fruition or the completion of the exterior. You take a seed and you plant it into the ground. You water it and what will you see? You will see the external manifestation of an internal thing. That's what was happening right here. The Lord was touching the internal part of the mind in this woman. And when she stood straight, it was simply the external manifestation of an internal touch of God. When Lazarus was dead and Jesus came, he didn't roll the the stone away from the tomb. He simply spoke. And that word touched the internal part of the tomb and the internal part of Lazarus. And when they moved the stone away, they saw the external manifestation of the word and the internal touch of an awesome God. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that if in your in this house and you have certain ailments in your body, I'm not saying that it's in every instance, but sometimes it could be the mind that needs to be healed and it could be the mind that needs to be loosed before you begin to see the external manifestation of what God's trying to do on the inside. You can't see the heart, but you will see the external manifestation of what's in the heart. You'll see it on the external. That's why God said that man looks on the external or on the outside, but God looks on the heart, which is the internal. If he can touch your internal, if he can touch your insides in Psalms 51, he says you require truth in the inward parts, truth, the spirit of life. That's what he requires on the inside. And if we can get that on the inside of us, we can be released on the outside. 
looses the set free to no longer be detained. It's like a, to grant a prisoner leave to depart. And it's also used in divorce. You see, sometimes we become so married to the thing that is a detriment to our lives. The thing that stumps us, the thing that causes us to return back to that same problem we face. But can I tell you this evening that the Lord has come and he wants to touch our minds. There is a season that God is calling us into. But some of us, our mind would cause us to come back with the same report as those ten spies. We cannot do it. They're too great. The giants are too big. But we need a spirit that says we can do it. A spirit that will cut the head off of a giant by the name of Goliath. What's the head? The head is representative of the thinking. We need to destroy the thinking that will keep us from entering into a promised land that God has promised this church. The mind must be dealt with because it is where we get our understanding and our judgment. The mind. He had to heal her mind first. Proverbs says, guard your heart for out of it flow all the issues of life. And so some are looking for water, that act of kindness. Jesus today is offering water and while he is no gypsy, uh, extending only water with no love. But as he told the Samaritan woman at the well in John 8, I have water to give you that you will never thirst again. What water? Was he speaking of the water that would come from a well? No. He was speaking about love. How do you know he's speaking about love? Because that's the what the woman had been looking for. She's already on her, I believe, sixth or fifth husband And it still hasn't worked out. Why? Because she's in search for affirmation and she's in search for love. And the Lord's saying, I've got love that you will never thirst again. You'll have no desire to um, be looking outside the confines of what I give to you. I've got something that will satisfy your soul and satisfy your spirit. All you have to do is drink and receive love, love. He's got approval. He's got acceptance. He's got all things that we have need of. Amen. Amen. Joel 3 and 10 says, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. And let the weak say, I am strong. We're to say, I am mighty. We take the instruments that are working against us and beat them into swords and take that which has us hooked. And turn it into a spear. It's time that we stand flat footed in the presence of our enemy. The mind that we face. And the person we look in the mirror every morning and every evening. And say I am a mighty man. I am a mighty woman of God. I am mighty through the spirit of Christ. I am mighty through the things that he's baptized me with. Take the sword that you made of that situation and begin to work it over and take the spear that you have made out of what has hooked you and caused you to become hooked and start to slice and start to pierce 
through all the darkness and say, I am mighty. I am no longer bound with a spirit of Quasimodo, but my mind has been touched and you shall see the exterior of an internal touch in my life. In the morning I wake up and I say, I'm a mighty man. I am a mighty man. I am a mighty man. You begin to say something and you say it long enough and you'll believe it. You say it long enough and you believe it. You say, I'm sick. I don't feel well. I can get up and just say, I don't feel well and it won't be. But about 30 minutes later and I'm calling into work because I don't feel well. I really didn't feel as bad as I said. But I start working it up because the mind has a power There's a power in your tongue to speak life or death. And when you speak and say, I'm sick, then what is the result? You're sick. Wake up in the morning and say, I'm healed. I'm no longer bound by that spirit. I have liberty. I can move in the the, uh, giftings that God is calling me. I'll end with this. We can stand. 18. You know, the Lord just doesn't put stuff in the Bible. Yeah, you can stand. The Lord doesn't put things in the Bible just to uh, fill space, but everything has a purpose and a reason. And the number 18, he, he says that she was bound for 18 years. I believe he says it twice. And so I begin to think, why 18? Why does he uh, make that such a significant thing? But 18 is equal to bondage. But in the Hebrew numerology, 18 is significant The eighth letter in the Hebrew alphabet is Shet, C-H-E-T, which equals eight. And the tenth letter in the alphabet is Yud, or Yud, which equals ten. And the number 18 spells the Hebrew word C-H-A-I, which means life. Could it be that the Lord was saying, I'll turn your bondage into life and all that you have endured for 18 years, I will give you the ability to now be rebirthed and be renewed in the presence of God. We have that ability, church. We've been given that authority. When you come in contact with Jesus, you will realize that you can now do what you had become, you had been inhibited to do. Those that desire in this woman to look up, those that desire in this woman to be straight, But after she came in contact with Jesus Christ, she was able to do what she had been inhibited to do. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that there are dreams, visions, uh, ministries, desires that we have, that we have let our mind tell us we can't do. But one touch, one touch, one word from the master, and he will give us the ability to do what we were not able to do. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have the ability to change our bondage into life. I speak life into these people, Lord, into my life, Lord Jesus. I pray that you touch us, that the word would be planted in the, in the hearts of, uh, of who we are and in deep embedded in our minds, Lord. Let our minds be renewed. Let us renew our minds daily and let us have victory over a spirit of inadequacy and let us move forward in the life that you're given. We thank you for it in your blessed name. In Jesus' name.
You're dismissed in the fear of the Lord. The Lord bless you. Remember Sunday morning, Pastor Cisco will be back. And just come believing that God is going to take us yet to another level in the realm of the Spirit.